All right, hi guys, welcome to Marshfield Church of the Nazarene. We're super happy to be here with you guys today and we're glad that you guys came to worship the Lord and just spend some time here. If you are a visitor, there are connect cards in the back of your chair. We would love for you to fill one out and you can put that in the offering plate as it gets passed through so that we can connect with you later on in the week. Also, we are now going to take our one offering. Um, we're taking it for the Moors again this work this week just to try to continue to support them and in the way that we can and love on them and just continue to be praying for them. And um, we'll go ahead and ask our ushers to come forward. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for who you are and just that you love us and that you want to be here with us, God. And thank you for your presence. And I just pray that you bless this one offering and um, just use it to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just want to welcome everybody here today. Glad to see everybody. Um, we've got some things I want to review with you guys. I know what's on everybody's hearts and minds right now is about our pastor search. So where we are at is that next Sunday uh, we will have our pastoral candidate, which is going to be Luke Letzinger. Um, he is going to be the one that will be on the ballot for us to vote. We will have a special um, voting time right after service. Um, so as you can probably see in the bulletin, we next week we will have from 9.30 to 10.15 a meet and greet with Luke and Bethany. That's for everybody, regardless if you're a member or not. If you want to ask questions, get to know them a little better, because sometimes, you know, even though you're here, you don't always get to have a chance to talk to everybody. So this will be an opportunity. Um, and then, of course, it has information in here about who can vote and so forth. If you have questions or anything about voting, please come see me. I'll be glad to talk with you anything about that. This morning when I was praying, um, the Lord put some scripture, uh, just gave me one verse, which was kind of interesting, uh, that he, because I've been praying about our pastoral search for quite some time, and he just said, Luke 5, verse 16. And I thought, okay, well, that's kind of odd, very specific. And so I had to look it up, and it said, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And I thought, wow, that's what we need to be doing. We need to withdraw from everything we are doing in this world right now and focus on what God wants us to be doing to get his will to be done. Because this was a time when he was choosing his disciples and, you know, I thought, what a perfect, perfect scripture for us to be able to, to talk about. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. So um, there's going to be no discipleship groups this week. And let's see here. And the youth group is having their teens versus parents game night this Wednesday. So if you have questions, you can see Pastor Luke or Bethany about that. We do have, or it has MCON updates. You can now receive text updates and information from the church when things are happening. There's information on how to do that here in the, in the bulletin. Please do that because that's a great way for us to be able to get information out to you as quickly as possible. 
They do have home groups tonight at 6 p.m. Let's have all of the home group leaders in here. Has their phone numbers. If you've not been part of one of those, this is an opportunity for you to take part in that. Also, we're still having Sunday school. Uh, the adult Sunday school uh, for January is still being led by David Day. So this is be an opportunity for you to get involved in that. The 2020 giving statements are now available on the welcome desk. Thank you for getting that taken care of because that was that's a big undertaking, I know for sure. Uh, the women's ministry, the January ladies meeting will be to actually Tuesday, the 26th from 6 to 8 at the home of Bridget Greer. It'll be at her home at 247 Green Acres Drive. Meal theme is Italian. Everyone bring a dish. They'll be drawing for Secret Sisters and signing up to host 2021 meetings. If you can't participate um, and you'd like to participate in the Secret Sisters, please let Bridget know. There will be men's prayer breakfast this Tuesday at 645 at Grillo's Restaurant. You can talk to John Halstead if you have any questions about that. Um, and we church, I talked with Julie Arrington this morning. Julie and Brandon are starting that up again today. They are taking children that are ages three to five. Um, so that is a ministry that everybody should be taking part in. It is something that it is a great opportunity for you to be able to get to meet some amazing children and they don't have the schedule out just yet but they will be having that soon so if you're interested in volunteering please talk with um, Julie or Brandon so I think that we are good at this time so Colin all right if the worship team wants to come up uh, if you guys would stand and I'll pray as we go into worship Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for another day that we have to come and worship you, Lord. Um, I pray, like Sarah said, that in this time that we have to uh, make some decisions, Lord, that we would just draw away from everything else and, and draw close to you, Lord, that we would um, seek you, Lord. I pray that as we're here in this service today, Lord, um, that you would be glorified, Lord, that we're here to, to praise the only thing that's worthy, the only, the only, so to say, God that's worthy, Lord. We know that you're worthy of our praise no matter our circumstance, um, no matter our situation, Lord, and I pray that we would remember that um, no matter what's happened this week, um, that you're worthy of our praise and that you're to be glorified today, Lord. I pray that you would take this church to the next level, whatever that is, God, that you would um, show us today what our next step would be. Um, I pray that we would be obedient in every aspect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of away It was my tomb Till I made you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my truth Till I met you You come my Darkness into your glorious day. 
sin was great, your love was greater. time of prayer, we are coming before our Lord and King Jesus, and he is the one who is more powerful than death itself, 
And so if you feel the need to come, come and pray to this Jesus who has risen from the dead, who has defeated sin. Uh, we have some uh, prayer requests here, and as we've done in the past, just if you see a name up here, we just ask that you would take that name, pray through him throughout the, the week. Uh, Hollis Day uh, has gotten COVID-19. I believe he's nine years old, and we want to be praying for him. We also want to be praying for Buck. He's still not feeling too good, and we want to be praying for him as well, and uh, the Moore family, and uh, just these that you see on the list. And feel free to come and uh, pray at the altar, and we'll also have a time of anointing if you would like to be anointed. Thank you, God, so much for uh, who you are, Lord, and the, the sacrifice, God, that you 
that you gave to us in your son Jesus on the cross. And God, that you have, you have paid it all, Lord. God, that we are justified because of you and what you did on the cross. And Lord, I just pray today that uh, that would be very, made very clear to us, Lord. God, that uh, this wouldn't be just something that we hear again and we wouldn't leave change, but Lord, that we would just see that we are in desperate need of you and God, that we owe our whole lives to you. I pray, that God, that today that uh, we would just remove ourselves from the thrones of our lives, God, and Lord, that we would just allow you, God, to be God over our life. Lord, you know the sicknesses and, and the needs of our church. Lord, we pray for, for each one of them, Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, and we pray that you bring healing. Especially for the Moore family, Lord, we, God, we just continue to lift them up to you for Buck, God, that you just bring um, healing to him, and for Hollis Day, Lord, that you bring healing to him, and, and the needs of our church, Lord, we just, we just lift them up to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We give you praise. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of worship of offering, and so, Brent, would you uh, pray for our offering today? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house, Father, with our family. We just ask that we take up this portion of what you allow us to have, that you would use it to further your kingdom and bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
you guys have had a good week this week. Uh, anybody here read Jonah this week? All right. That's wonderful. A little bit more than last week. Uh, I want to say thank you guys for the encouragement. Uh, I've heard some good things on this series and I would appreciate that. And God's teaching me a lot of things through this as well. And so we're just going to get right back into the story of Jonah. And so God told Jonah to go, and Jonah said no, and Jonah runs from God, and he continues to just go down, down, down in disobedience, and Jonah gets confronted by the pagan sailors when they're in the midst of this storm that God has hurled upon them, and this storm of disobedience that Jonah has been in, and it gets to the point where they say, what should we do? Jonah says, throw me overboard. Jonah didn't repent. He didn't say, let's go back to Nineveh. He said, let's just throw me overboard. I'd rather, I'd rather die, right? And so Jonah's there in the sea. He's about to face death. And God in his mercy sends this great fish. And it swallows Jonah. And then Jonah, who had his whole life before him, this vast ocean, lots of opportunity, is now in the midst of this whale and in the, and, and this great fish, and in this fish, he begins to get perspective. And in this fish, he sees that God's hand was moving in his disobedience even. And in this fish, he realizes that God has been merciful to him. And so Jonah, at the end of uh, chapter 2, says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so this is where we are at in the story, and the story continues. And so I just want to have us all stand in honor of God's word. And this is Jonah, chapter 2, verse 10 through verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Ooh. Blech. 
the great vomit. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, humble us today by your word, and God, that we would hear from you, and God, that we would just be obedient to you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jonah has now been upchucked by this great fish, and it spews him out onto dry ground. And then it tells us that, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message that I tell you. And if we've been reading this story, it's kind of like, oh, we're getting back to that story, that story of Nineveh. We've kind of gone off on this, this trail of Jonah's disobedience, and now we're getting back to the main story, that God has a message for Nineveh. And Jonah's been disobedient, and you notice where God brings Jonah back. Jonah has been disobedient to God. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. And God has allowed him to go on this little journey of disobedience. But when Jonah says, okay, God, I will declare salvation comes from the Lord, he takes Jonah right back to that place of disobedience and says, okay, we're going to do this again. And in the very next verse, it tells us that, that God does this. And some of you may have strayed from God, and you can get an exact location of maybe where that has started. Maybe it was a lie that you told. Maybe you have refused to forgive somebody, and that has just dwelt up inside you. And maybe God doesn't have a control of an area in your life. Whatever it may be, there comes a point where you desire to get right in right relationship with God. And what God does is he will take you right back to that place of disobedience. Now, the situation might not be the same. Like, there's been times in my life where I felt like God was asking me to maybe witness to somebody, and I got nervous, and I said, I'm not going to do that, and I decided not to do it, right? And later on, I felt convicted about it. There's no way that I can go back and redo that opportunity that God gave me, right? There's, I've lost it. But there is a great chance that God will put in front of me a new opportunity and he'll bring me right back to that place of disobedience and say, okay, Luke, now is your time. Show me your repentance. And so he's doing this with Jonah. Jonah actually gets to go back to that same spot. Okay, Jonah, go back to Nineveh. And so Jonah does this, and God is so thorough. God is a very patient God, but he's also very thorough. And he makes sure that true repentance is taking place in Jonah's life. And what we see is that God is working on Jonah's heart, but it's not only the heart of Jonah that he's concerned about, but it's also the hearts of the Ninevites. And so we go back and we think about uh, chapter 1 of the story of Jonah. It says, go to Nineveh, that great city, for its evil has come up before me. And so we learn that this is a great city, it's an important city, but we also see that it is an evil city. Can you all say evil city? Evil city. 
Okay, now you're gonna say it like you're like evil scientist or something. Okay, evil city, ready? Yes, it's an evil city. And it says that this evil has come up before the Lord. And so uh, what was so evil about the city of Nineveh? Well, this, this scripture takes place a little bit after this story of Nineveh, but this really, uh, Nahum describes Nineveh, and I'm sure it was pretty much about the same. This is what it tells us in the word of God. Woe to that bloody city all full of lies and plunder, no end to their prey. They crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, host of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. This is the description of Nineveh, an evil city, right? This is, this is not a good place. And so uh, this is the place that, that God uh, wants Jonah to go to. And it tells us that they're a brutal city. You can see here that they, they charge in with flashing swords. They're, they're describing chariots going in. And this, this place is a place that overtook. Might is right in their minds. And not only are they brutal, but they are also boastful. If you were to go to the museum in Britain, they have this, uh, this thing where it has uh, uh, artifacts of Nineveh, and it has their uh, stories that would be like within the king's walls. Uh, if, if you were going in to see the king, you would see these pictures, and it just told of all their military um, things that they did and how brutal they were. And I read up on it, and it's just not something that we need to share today, but... It, Nineveh was an evil city. And so you can imagine, you know how you go into a high school, right? And you see the trophy room and, and you're there. And if you're coming in and you see this, this high school has all these trophies and you're from the other team, that's kind of scary. You're like, oh, this is an intimidating team. Imagine if you were going into Nineveh and you were from a different country and you're going to go ask for the king's permission to, you know, do something or you're trying to make a, a trade or whatever it may be. And you're going in. This is an intimidating person to go to. So not only only are they brutal, but they're boastful about their brutality. And God has said that this evil has come up before me, and he says, Jonah, I want you to go and preach against it. And Jonah is disobedient to him the first time, but God brings him back to this place of disobedience, and God is determined to get this message to the people of Nineveh. And so what is the message that God gives Jonah? He says in verse 4, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. Now, uh, this word overturned in the Hebrew is called hafach, I think. I don't know. Sounds about like that. Hafach. Anybody want to say it? Here we go. Hafach. No, you all say it. Okay, this side said it. Now this side, you guys say it. I don't know. I'm not Hebrew. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. So they say hafach, right? Overturned. It's overturned. It's going to be hafach, 
right? And if you were in the, in the Bible, this is a way of using judgment, right? And it's actually used in Genesis, the same word, when they're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, we know all about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It says this, then the word of the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, oh, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew, or he hafah, those cities, all and all the valley and the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, right? So overturned, right? So if you're Jonah and you have this in your mind that God is about to Nineveh, right? There is nobody more excited about that. He's like, okay, God, open a can of on Nineveh, right? It's, it's time. Give it to him. And uh, we see that Jonah is probably, you know, he's, he's probably happy about this. And I think it's easy for us to zoom through this part of the sermon or through this part of the, the story and get to the part where the Ninevites, you know, repent. But I think it's important for us to sit here a little bit and really consider what God was going to bring upon Nineveh. In chapter 1, it tells us that, evil, that Nineveh is evil, that's come up before the Lord, and now God has said, in 40 days, I'm going to overthrow you, or I'm going to hafah you, right? And if this is the same type of wordage that he's using for Sodom and Gomorrah, where sulfur and fire was coming down from heaven, and there was nothing left in the land, not even the vegetation was there, then we have to assume that this is the type of thing that God is about to do to Nineveh. And in chapter 4, it says there's 120,000 people in Nineveh. And so God's judgment is about to kill 120,000 people, and Nineveh will be completely destroyed. I think it's good for us to let that sink in a little bit that God's judgment was about to come to Nineveh and it was going to be completely destroyed. God warned them of their evil and that there would be destruction. God is not a God who will tolerate evil forever. God is a God who one day will bring judgment. We see this judgment all throughout the Old Testament especially. We see his judgment in the story of the flood. It says that the the earth had gotten so evil that God regretted making man, and so he sends this flood, and it kills everything except those who were on the ark. We see his judgment in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Abraham is like, man, what if you find a hundred people there that are righteous? Okay, for that I won't kill. What? And he narrows it down to, I think, like ten people. What if you find ten people there, God, that are righteous? Then would you, would you destroy the city with the righteous? And God says, no, I, I, I won't for the sake of ten. God didn't find ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he sent down sulfur and fire, and it burned. We see his story of judgment in the Exodus. Pharaoh has killed the Israelites' newborns, and, and later on, when he's trying to get the Israelites out, what does God do? He kills the firstborn of the Egyptians, except for those who turned and believed in him by putting the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, right? God is not a God who will tolerate evil 
for long. God is a God who does not excuse sin. He doesn't excuse it. He deals with it, and he makes judgments. And for many of us, this makes us uncomfortable, right? Who's uncomfortable by the fact that God judges? Like, I'm a little uncomfortable by that, right? We make these ideas in the the first of the year. I'm going to read the Bible through the whole year, right? And we read throughout the Old Testament, and then we get to stories like this where God's judgment is there, and he kills everybody, and we're like, I think I'm going to skip the Old Testament now and go back to the loving, kinding Jesus, right? Because God doesn't seem very Christ-like in these stories, okay? It's kind of bizarre. He's He's bringing down the judgment. It's kind of scary. And I have done that, and I have wrestled with, man, what do we do with these scriptures? But I think it's because we have such poor experiences with judgment and such a poor view of judgment sometimes that it messes up our thinking of what the very nature of what judgment is intended for. Each one of us has a poor experience with judgment where people are too, bring too harsh of a judgment on you or they weren't uh, uh, bringing a good enough judgment on somebody else or maybe they just completely make the wrong judgment about you. And so people make mistakes in their judgment. We also experience that people judge and their judgment changes due to their circumstances. How many of you have ever been in the car, you're on I-44, you're driving 70 miles per hour because you're a good and lawful citizen, when all of a sudden, somebody passes right by you. Does that ever happen to you, right? Yes, okay. If you're not raising your hand, you are that person then that's going, right? I remember one time, me and Bethany were in the car, and all of a sudden I look at my rear view mirror, there's two cars going past, and they're on that turn, somewhere that it's like that big turn where the, the woods are, right? And they're going, and they're going fast, and this guy's not letting them off. He's not going to let them pass, and he's just riding his butt. And, and there's an ambulance right here, and this guy has the nerve to go into the right lane onto the shoulder and passes the ambulance in the shoulder to get past this guy. And this guy is like, this man is crazy. And he just slowly turns, gets in front of the ambulance, and he slows down while the other guy just goes past by. And you're like, holy cow, people are insane, right? Now, every once in a while, something happens where you'll be driving down, you'll see this guy pass, right? They go real fast. And then what happens? Later down the road, you see that they got pulled over. Has anybody ever had that experience? Man, that is something that does not happen enough in my life. But it is a beautiful thing when it does. You're just like, justice! Ha! How's it going, buddy? See ya! (laughs) It's amazing. It's a wonderful feeling, right? We love it when that happens. Does not happen enough. Now, now let's think about this from this perspective. How many of you have ever been running late for an event in your life? Uh, and you oh yeah, okay, these are the late people. Notice they're in the back row, that makes sense, okay? <laughs> and so you're running late, and what do you have to do? You don't want to be late, it's rude, so you gotta put a little pedal to the metal, right? You gotta get there going fast. There was one time where my wife and I had to be somewhere, and she, it was a long, long trip, and she had been driving for six hours, and we were running a little bit late, and I was like, okay, time for me to drive. I drive for 20 minutes, and I get pulled over, right? She had just drove for six hours, nothing. Me, 20 minutes, woo, 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 right? And when the, the, the police comes, you know what I'm wanting? 
I'm wanting mercy. I'm wanting a graceful judgment. And I'm seeing all these people, ha ha, about it. No, they didn't do that. But I'm just thinking like, if it was me, that's what I would be doing. Right? We, we want justice when it comes to somebody wronging us, but when it's we who do wrong, what do we want? We want mercy. And so our experience of judgment is often unfair, which makes sense because we are deceitful people. We as human beings, uh, more often than not, make judgments that are wrong, and usually they help us gain and they make other people pay. And so it can be hard for us to understand judgment, but it's important for us to remember that when God judges, he does not make judges, he doesn't make judgments that are untrue. He makes judgments that are true and that are just. And they're not based off, his judgments aren't based off flawed human thinking and deceitful thinking. His judgments are based off truth and his holiness. And so sometimes God's going to make a judgment that we might not quite understand, but we got to go back to the character of God, knowing that God is, is trustworthy, knowing that God is true, knowing that God doesn't make deceitful thinking. He doesn't have deceitful thinking, but that he is a holy God. And since God is a holy God, that, makes, that he makes holy judgments. And when it comes to something that we don't understand, we just got to kind of live in faith into that. Okay, God, because you're holy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you and this judgment, right? And so I don't think we just have poor experiences with judgment also, but I think these poor experience, uh, experiences with judgment has also changed our thinking with our judgments. It's, we say things like, oh, God doesn't judge me. He just loves me as I am. Or we might ask questions like, why is God so harsh in his judgments? Shouldn't we just all love one another? Or how could a loving God judge me based off of few poor choices that I've made in the past? And for some reason, we have decided that judgment and love are at odds with one another when really love and judgment go hand in hand. If I was walking down the street and I saw my friend being beaten and he's getting robbed and they're taking his wallet, right? Would it be loving for me to say, hey, you know what, friend, I see you getting beaten there. I see that they're taking your wallet. But because I love you, I'm not going to make a judgment here. And I just move on. Right? Would that be loving at all? Right? It is not loving. We have to make these judgments because if I, it's not loving to the friend because you're allowing this evil to take place in your life. It's not loving to the robber because you're enabling this, this evil to continue and you're allowing it to happen and, uh, and you're encouraging it at the worst. And so the opposite of judgment is not love. Okay, the opposite of judgment is not love. Judgment is an expression of love. Parents make this expression all the time with their kids, right? They show their love through their judgment. That's not a good decision. This is probably what you need to do, right? Judgment is an expression of love. The opposite of judgment is apathy, where you are indifferent to the things that are going on. You could care less if it went one way or the other. And God is not a God of apathy. 
If God was a God of apathy, he would not have saved Israel from their slavery, but he would have just left them because, why does he care? If God was a God of apathy, he would have just left Nineveh to their own devices, and he wouldn't have sent Jonah because why does he care? If God was a God of apathy, he wouldn't have died on the cross for your sins because, you know, why does he care? God is a God of judgment, not of apathy, and judgment is an expression of his love, as we will see. So we continue the story. And this is Jonah, uh, verse, or chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, or Havah. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So the king of Nineveh comes and he, he repents. And it tells us that the people, that they, they believed Jonah. And how do we know that they believed Jonah? Is it because they just believed in their minds, oh, I believe, you know, that this is going to take place? Well, there was something in their minds that took place that they believed, but it was more than just a mental exercise of belief, right? Sometimes I think we can just say we believe something and it just stays up here. This belief went further, though, and it went down into their heart, and it brought conviction to them. And it was more than just a mental exercise. They believed with their minds, but they were convicted in their hearts, and it showed in their actions. The Ninevites fasted. The Ninevites put on sackcloth. Both of these things show that they are mourning. In this culture, when you put on sackcloth, when you're fasting, you're mourning. You are showing that you are sorry. And it tells us that, verse 5, that all the people are doing this from the greatest to the least, right? The greatest being the kings and the least being the animals, right? He tells the animals that they need to put on sackcloth, right? That they shouldn't eat any food. So from the kings to the cows, they are repenting in Nineveh. This is quite the revival, right? And in verses 6 through 9, it tells how the king of Nineveh responds to this message and that he responds to the message of Noah and uh, not Noah, Jonah in humility. It tells us that he arises from his throne and that he begins to remove his robe. And these are symbols, his robe and his throne. These are symbols of his royal authority. And he gets off his throne and he takes off his robe and he places on sackcloth and he sits in ashes or in dirt and it says, and he does this like everybody else. The king 
is now on the same playing field as everybody else who's fasting and wearing sackcloth. And what the king is doing here is saying, God, you are God. You are the king. You are king over Nineveh. It is not me. I am like the rest of these subjects and compared to you, right? And he takes his seat and he says that we all need to turn from our violent ways and the people do it. And this, this would have been incredible to have seen. And I want you to imagine if, if Springfield went through this type of a revival, right? People repented of their sin. There's no more terrible driving, right? People are no longer speeding and passing on the shoulder. Or they're using their blinkers, right? It's, a, it's amazing. Revival is taking place. The homeless on Glenstone are being taken care of and helped out of, of their poverty. Families are forgiving each other and parents decide to stay together. The mayor of Springfield calls everybody together and says, listen, it's time for us to go into prayer mode. Nobody eat anything, right? And instead of a, a mask mandate, there's a burlap mandate and everybody's going to wear sackcloth and we're gonna, we are going to repent of our sin. Could you imagine if that would take place? in Springfield or in Marshfield, right? That would be unbelievable. And Nineveh, which is a far, 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 far worse place, right? This takes place there. And God does something. And Nineveh has been changed. And I want to go back to this, this, this sermon that, that Jonah did. It says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. Or, chafah. There's another usage of this word. And it's used in 1 Samuel 10, 6, and 9. It says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. He's talking about Saul. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned, or hafah, into another man. When Saul turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave, or hafah, him another heart. In 40 days, God says, Nineveh is going to be overturned. Jonah hears that, and he's thinking fire, brimstone, destruction. And what God was saying is, in 40 days, their hearts are going to be changed. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's an amazing story that, that God brought repentance to the hearts of this whole city and through his love and through his judgment and through his grace, repentance took place in Nineveh. And while the story of Nineveh is amazing, we know that God has done even greater things in the person of Jesus Christ. In the story of Jonah, the king of Nineveh is convicted of his sin and he's convicted of the people's sin. And so what does he do? It says he steps down from his throne and he takes off his robe, which are the emblems of his, symbols of his royal authority. And then he makes himself equal to his subjects by wearing sackcloth. And he humbles himself before God and sitting in the ashes. And this is an amazing story of the humility of this king. But we have a king named King Jesus who did something even greater. In Philippians chapter 2, we see this humility of Jesus Christ. It says this, 
Jesus, who though he was in a form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, God made himself equal with us. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He went off his heavenly throne. He came to earth. He humbled himself, being in form of like us, fully God, fully man. And then he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's as low as you can go. Colin, I would like for you to come up. My friends, God loves you. He loves me. And he loved all of those who were before us, and he loves all that's coming after us, and he loves you guys. But God is not an apathetic God. He has seen the world and its evil, and a judgment must take place. And the judgment is here. It says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are all found guilty before him. And because of our sin, and because God is a God of justice, he cannot be apathetic towards your evil. And he cannot be apathetic towards my evil. God is a God who has to do something about it. And so we are the ones who should pay the consequences of our sin. We are the one who did wrong. We are the one deserving of death. But it tells us here in Philippians that God took on humanly form and that he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And when he died on that cross, he took on your punishment. He took on my punishment. And he took on the sin of the world. And at the cross, we see the love of God. He stepped in and took your place. And he took my place. And we see the justice of God because God sent his son Jesus and Jesus paid the price that you and I could never pay. And he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of sin. And we see the grace and the mercy of God because now we are able to live right? We were supposed to die, but God has died in our place, and now we can live for him. If we would just ask for forgiveness of our sin and give our life to him. But that means that we got to be like the king of Nineveh, right? Where we come off of our throne, we take off our, our royal garments, where we say, you know, I'm the one in charge, I'm the one who's going to be making the decisions, and we have to be willing to say, you know what, God? Will you sit on the throne of my heart? God, whatever, whatever you're needing from me, Lord, God, I don't want to be in control. God, I want you to sit on the throne of my heart. Lord, you're going to be the one making decisions. And when Christ comes and he brings judgment into your life, that's a good thing, right? It's an expression of love. And he's calling you out on your sin. Judgment's coming. That's a good thing. We just come back to him and we say, oh God, I am so sorry. I repent, Lord. Be on the throne of my life in that area as well. Right? We have to be willing to allow God to have the thrones of our heart. 
Jesus is coming again. And when he does, there will be a final judgment. I want us all to stand. There's going to be a final judgment one day, and we're all going to face it. And it tells us that if our names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Lies, that we will eternally be separated from God in what is considered the second death, which is described as a lake of fire. We don't like to talk about this, but it's important, right? Judgment is an expression of God's love. He's not apathetic. He will deal with sin and evil. Nineveh was given 40 days. And he says that you need to repent. In 40 days, this is going to take place. What if you knew that Jesus was going to come back in 40 days? 40 days, Jesus is coming back. Is there a sin that you would repent of? Are there some life changes within your family that you would need to make? Is there some bitterness that you're harboring on to? Is there forgiveness that needs to take place? Would you go to that brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, listen, I'm sorry, or hey, listen, I forgive you. Is there something that is harboring within you that you know you need to let God take over? Because in 40 days, he's coming back. Some of you are like, oh yeah, there's some things I need to get. My friends, we are not guaranteed 40 days. Today could be the day that, that Christ comes back. Today could be the last day that you live. We don't know. But Christ, in his mercy, has allowed you to be here today, to hear this message, to get back in right relationship with him. What will you do? I'm praying that as Marshfield Church and the Nazarene, that we would step off of our throne that we wouldn't be the ones making the decisions, but we just say, oh Christ, would you have this church? And that takes place when us as individuals are saying, oh God, will you take my life? I'm stepping off the throne of my heart, and I want you to be Lord of my life. If there is a sin that you need to be confessing, if you just need to say, God, I want you to take control of my life, whatever that may look like, if you just want to step out in faith and say, Lord, I just need to pray. Whatever it may be, guys, the altars are here. The altars are open, and this is a place where we allow God to work within us. And they are open today. We're not guaranteed 40 days. We're only given right now. Will you come to the Lord and do what he's calling you to do? be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one. I wanna be near. 
to your heart loving the world and hating the dark i want to see drivers living again singing as one shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I the great I the great before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I the great I the great I God didn't bring a destruction about it, but he came and he changed the hearts and the lives of each person there. And I'm praying for that in the heart of Marshfield, that God would overturn, that God would displace, right? And we're praying for that. I pray that God would bless you as you go and um, to your places of work and places of family and wherever else. 
and that you would just be ministers of his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this day, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is not apathetic towards evil, but God, that you will uh, bring judgment and justice one day. And Lord, I just pray that we would be sensitive to that. And Lord, that we'd be people who would repent of our ways and that we would seek out your grace and mercy. And Lord, that we would give that to others as well. And Lord, we just love you and we thank you for all many blessings that you give us. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.